Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Wilander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, the 2023 Australian Open has come to a close and its final act was to see Novak Djokovic return to world number one to lift the Norman Brooks trophy, bearing a jacket with the number 22 emblazoned on its chest because, of course, he is now a 22-time Grand Slam champion, equaling the record of Rafael Nadal, and he is a 10-time Australian Open champion, extending his own record in that regard. The match tonight against Stefanos Tsitsipas won in straight set 6-3, 7-6, 7-6. Might not have been particularly remarkable, but lots of other things about this evening, or yesterday evening, were quite remarkable you find us at 1:58 a.m in tennis podcast towers melbourne we're all here we've got beers pizza's on the way there might be a slight interruption <laughs> uh in due course but we're here and we're raring to go one last time yes and people are probably thinking why didn't they eat before they recorded the podcast <laughs> well i'll tell you why <laughs> the media cafe closed before Novak Djokovic had come to press. And I think that is unacceptable. Yeah, as I stormed back from the media cafe where I'd attempted to buy nachos, I texted all in caps. I'll, I'll edit this a bit. The cafe is closed. We're leading the pod with this. So I thank you, Matt, for do, doing my work for me. I've just had to turn the microphone down. You were so, you were so incandescent. <laughs> um, hey, look, we're going to talk about Novak Djokovic and Stefanos Tsitsipas in detail over the course of the next hour. But first, I want to remind you one last time that the tennis podcast throughout this Australian Open has been sponsored by On Location, the premium hospitality and experience provider. They're bringing us to Indian Wells. We can officially, just like Stefanos Tsitsipas, now turn our attention to Indian Wells. We've already forgotten the match, to quote Stefanos. We're all about the future. We're looking forward, and Indian Wells is where we're looking. Can't wait. 
Cannot wait. Can't wait. Yeah. And um, if you're a friend of the tennis podcast, then Steve Fogel's International Tennis Tours are offering a 5% discount code to all friends of the pod for all of their tours throughout 2023. And they have also now launched their 2024 Australian Open packages. And we highly recommend a trip to Melbourne. Uh, they're also giving away one Steve Fogel's International Tennis Tools package to the Miami Open presented by Itau in March uh, to one lucky tennis podcast newsletter subscriber in the US or the UK. And that winning newsletter subscriber will be drawn at random from those that enter by 11.59 p.m. Eastern time on Sunday. So it may still be open when you're listening to this. It may not be. I don't have control over when you, dear listener, are listening, but it might still be possible for you to enter. Get your skates on, would be my advice, and commiserations if you miss the deadline. Uh, The prize is a three-night stay at the official Miami Open Tournament Hotel for two guests and breakfast with, in the vicinity of, potentially, but no promises. Danka Kovnik. Excellent. Can't, can't wait to see what Dan Kras for breakfast. Right in the sweet spot. <laughs> um, two full day and night sessions worth of tickets to the tennis with premium hospitality and transportation to the venue all included. The link to subscribe to the newsletter is in our show notes and the URL to enter the competition is tours4tennis.com forward slash podcast. Tours, the number four, tennis.com forward slash podcast. Now then, Novak Djokovic. He's quite good, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's uh, so much better than everybody else. With yeah. Alcaraz on the sidelines and with Nadal, an unknown quantity physically, he is just so much better than everybody else. Mm. Yeah. That's I, the long and short of it. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the fact that he played Sitsapas when Sitsapas was coming into this match in really good form. And fresh. There was nothing wrong with him. He was fine. Um, he had to deal with the occasion. Um, but so did Djokovic, obviously massively more experienced. And aside from a wobble in the second set when Djokovic got really, really stressed, once he started to relax, I mean, and, and I felt like he was, re- was foc- ultra-focused and composed in the first set, stressed in the second, and then he relaxed in the third because it all started to flow and he just he can do things to an opponent he can upset and unsettle an opponent unlike anybody else I think and then he also has a gear when he himself relaxes and he can actually just wipe the floor with you even if you're playing well Um, because in the final set tie break they were both playing well at the same time and I'm watching Djokovic I wasn't commentating on that set I was watching him up close and I was thinking Tsitsipas is making miracles happen to hold on to his serve to force this tie break because I could see the look in Djokovic's eyes. Now he's unencumbered. He's no longer bothered by all these things that have been worrying him. He's just letting it flow. And I think that that's nigh on unbeatable on a hard court. Um, and Tsitsipas threw the lot for about 10 minutes there. And he didn't really get close. Because Djokovic is just too good. I thought this match would be about how much Djokovic could pick on and expose the Sitsipas backhand. And there was 
a lot of that. And I do think the sits of pass backhand was exposed. You know, it made me feel naive about my takes having watched him against Karen Hatchinov, where, you know, his his backhand stood up to scrutiny, but A, he wasn't hitting that many of them, and B, the scrutiny wasn't that intense, quite frankly. Nowhere near the scrutiny that, that Novak Djokovic applied to it today. I mean, the sound of the ball coming off the racket on that backhand side for the first set was sort of tinny and you know none of the hits felt clean it was just sitting there begging to be hit and yes that battle did exist of Djokovic maneuvering the ball onto the sit to pass backhand but Djokovic also out forehanded Stefanos sit to pass today like and deliberately that, that I was not expecting mm. that and, was unreal and massively so yeah like Djokovic's forehand was a bigger weapon and also more reliable. I mean, Sitsipas, I think, was well over 20 unforced errors on the forehand. Djokovic was a handful of unforced errors. And, and he was going for it. It's not he like was. he wasn't he was... being aggressive on that shot. Absolutely. And, and he, I think he wanted those forehand rallies, you know, as a, as a way also to open up the Sitsipas mm. backhand. You know, it's, it's a classic. You've got to go to the strength to open up the weakness a bit more. And in doing so... He turned Sitsipas's strength into a weakness. And there were a lot of points in that second set in particular where I felt like finally Sitsipas was playing the right sort of game style. It was pretty flat in the first set, Sitsipas. It was interesting, their demeanours. Djokovic, as you said, David, was calm and confident in that first set. Sitsipas didn't really show up, I didn't think. But he did start having a bit more impact in the second set. He started doing some damage with, with those ground strokes. But then on pretty much all the, all the big moments, he, he made errors, Sitsipas. Mm. He, he didn't play well um, when it mattered. And it was, it was an execution problem, I think, for him today. I do genuine, genuinely believe that Sitsipas stepped onto that court with a decent amount of belief that he could beat Novak Djokovic. He just didn't play well, I didn't think. And I think part of that is what we were saying the other night about how Djokovic makes you play badly. And it's harder to play well against him than it is against other players for lots of reasons. Um, but, but, he, but he also didn't have, seem to have the feel today. Like it wasn't, right. just wasn't there. I mean, no. that, that was the worst tiebreak I've ever oh, seen. It was tragic, oh, it was, wasn't it? That second set from both an players. absolute I think tragedy of a tiebreak. There were like two points that went with yeah, serve. Yeah, it was dire. Um, and, and he missed, I think he missed four forehands mm. in the first right. six points of that. Like, but these weren't tough forehands no. by, by Stefano Sitsipat. This is a guy with a great forehand who couldn't get it in. Oh, this was the forehand that I was marvelling over two days ago. I was, you know, I was drooling over it. I couldn't believe it. We spent 10 minutes talking to Jim Gurrier about it yesterday. <laughs> it got compared Feel to a Pete ball Sampras. Now. I was like, what, what is this shot? <laughs> what, where's that other forehand that you had the other day? Imagine how he feels. Um, it, it's, it's funny, though. Stefanos sits a pass, and look, he came into press pretty quickly. Um, there was a lot of sort of... I felt like in his press conference, he was trying to talk himself into feeling certain ways. He didn't want really to talk about how gutted he is. He was very much talking a good game about this being a good tournament overall. And 
you know, wanting to look forward and not back. It, that's a direct quote. I've already forgotten about the match. <laughs> Bless him. Um, but he thought it was all about Djokovic today. He didn't talk about playing badly and he was sort of probed on it a little bit. Nobody wanted to say, don't you think you played really badly, Steph? Um, you know, it's a delicate one, but I asked him about, you know, what plan he went on to court with and how well he felt he was able to execute that plan. And he pretty much said, I've got no issues with my execution. I just came up against Novak Djokovic, who's unbelievable today. And he did. It probably still wouldn't have been enough. But it would have been enough to make it more competitive than it was today. I was expecting a more competitive match than that. I was I was disappointed in Sitsipas tonight. Yeah, I think, you know, whenever we talk about how someone performed against Djokovic or against Nadal or, you know, the greats of the game, you have to take into account that they're playing the greats mm. and therefore it's, you know, it's harder to do what you want to do and harder to play well, of course. I don't, you know, I don't think Djokovic was anywhere near his best tonight. I think, had, and I think there was an opportunity for Sitsipas to play better and to extend the match. I, I ultimately think Djokovic would have won. He would have done enough to win. That's, you know, that's kind of his, his playbook in a lot of these big matches. Just play a couple of levels above the opponent. And I think he would have done that. But Sitsipas had his chances in that second set, really. He, he didn't... I don't think he'll have too many regrets about the set point that he had. I no, mean, That was a great set point. It was a, it was mm. a fantastic rally. We, and Djokovic, again, that forehand, he got it into play. He was sort of ramping up the power a little bit by little as the, as the rally went on. Eventually, he just pulled the trigger on one and nailed it for a winner. We, we both looked at one another in the press seats and said, I bet David's commentary on that point was good. <laughs> <laughs> well, the funny thing is, um, well, thank you. But, uh, what, well, we don't know it was good, David. We <laughs> well, do, we, I can tell you the you gist of what, what it was. I, re- I remember the, the, I tend to commentate um, on rallies like that, not just about what the shots are being hit, but the theme, the feel of the rally, to try to get a sense across of how it seems from what I'm watching. And, and my sense was that Sitsipas knew that Djokovic was tight mm. and was just trying to make him play lots and lots of balls. He used his athleticism. He was looping them. He wasn't pulling the trigger I thought he was trying to bait him and Djokovic was sort of muscling the ball over it those were not uh, fluid liquid strokes like we saw at the end of the match at the end of the match it's like um, it's like a whiplash and a trampoline effect with the ball coming off the strings this was not like that at all he was heaving the ball over grunting trying to get them over get them deep keep Sitsipas off him that's what they were like and Sitsipas was trying to get the error, is, is how it looked to me. And then suddenly, it was like, I don't know whether Djokovic set him up for this or whether he just snapped and said, boom, I'm going for this. And he just let the arm go. And it was unreturnable, even with Sitsipas's speed. Um, I mean, I haven't watched that rally back on TV. That was just what, what I was watching out of my commentary box window. And, and, and I was thinking straight afterwards now, do you look at Sid Sebastian and think, 
Should you have gone for it there? Should you have pulled the trigger? And I don't really think so. I kind of, it's easy to say in hindsight, the way it felt, I did not see that forehand coming. Mm. And I think that that's, that's where you see the greats, the absolute mm. greats. He was nervous and he still pulled the trigger and won the point off his own racket. Mm. That second set tonight, it might not have been the highest quality. I don't think it was, but it was by far the most compelling of the match in terms of the contest. I it mean, was still in the balance then as well, it, wasn't it? Was. It? The you first know. set mm. was compelling because I, I wasn't expecting that poor a start from Sitsipas, and I was not expecting Djokovic to be as calm and contained as he was. We've seen him come out looking stressed from the off in a lot of his matches. What was it? It was on the th- third point in one of his early matches was it the Dimitrov match in the in the third or fourth round where you know he had a a stressed exchange with a ball kid not giving him a ball quickly enough and that was on the third point and I thought wow goodness he is stressed here and against Quacko I think it was I think yeah uh, yes it was that's the only set he lost wasn't it that that second set but but even the first one I think he won it 6-1 but even then he was stressed Mm. yeah and a very weird thing is that Novak Djokovic still, I mean, he's not going to have any sleepless nights about this, but he still hasn't won a slam without dropping a set. Has and, he not? Uh, Enzo Cuoco has, uh, has denied him that. That's an here. extraordinary statistic. Mm. I really it's wouldn't have thought that was surprising, the case. Surprising, isn't it? I yeah. mean, I know Federer and Nadal have, have both done that a few times, but Djokovic That's often has a... A match, or well, always has a match where he drops a set, and um, yeah, it was. What a great Enzo start. Cuoco. That didn't Enzo. even make Matt stat. Like the whole fortnight. My um, my best friend wanted <laughs> to call her second son Enzo, and her partner vetoed it. <laughs> oh. I think it's a lo- it's a great name. Sorry to all of you Enzos out there. <laughs> it's a great name. Um, no, what I was going to say was, it surprised me that Djokovic was so calm, seemingly from the off, and then given that, it really surprised me how not calm he was. In the second set, I thought if he was going to be extremely stressed, it would sort of present itself quite quickly. But he had this tremendous contrast. And okay, Sitsipas rallied, no pun intended, in in the second set and did make it more competitive. But I always still felt like Djokovic was on top. You know, the, the stress that emerged in that second set when things were still on serve... Um, and Djokovic still felt in control was quite extraordinary to me. The the way he was, and he he deflected your question a little bit about this in the press conference, didn't he, David? With with a bit of a twinkle in his eye, Djokovic, but it seemed very much to me like he was directing a lot of stress and a lot of wrath very directly towards Goran Ivanovic, who yeah. was as stressed himself as I have ever seen him in that coaching box yeah and, and it was it was actually at that stage more interesting than the match mm. because Goran you know he's a pretty emotional guy himself and he's a big character and we've seen him on court lose it with the best of them when he's stressed and actually when he he came in and did a press conference for us as well just before Novak Djokovic which was also a really interesting one we'll talk more about it in detail I'm sure as we go along but in that particular instance you know he he said, "You know, yes, he he does uh, he does go he does go through this, but I know what that's like. I was a player. I remember that. And Djokovic was so 
clear in his post-match speech about, I know what I put you guys through, and I, and I, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, and we've we've seen other players say that sort of thing. I've heard Andy Murray over the years say he might not do it publicly quite like that, but he's he said I've had to sp- speak to my team because I want them to know what what's happening, why I'm you know in a quiet moment when I'm not feeling like that. I talk to them about it so that they know that that I do appreciate them, but it. it it's venting, isn't it, for these guys? I mean, in this particular instance with Djokovic, it was just a really strange situation because it looked like he was almost trying to bait Goran into a row. Mm. I mean, he was... I was desperate for that row. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm, I, I was, <laughs> I was thinking... Like, rise, rise to it, Goran. Well, Goran's a bit Let's scary. Are you sure you want to go down this <laughs> yeah. route here? You know, and, and he was just eyeballing... Got a few inches on you. He walked all the way from his service position back to his chair, looking over his shoulder, mm. eyeballing Goran. Mm. And and trying to trying to get a reaction out of him, to be honest, I I thought, um, but I think, and and I mean, we were speculating, <laughs> is he is he saying you told me to go to the forehand? Now look what's happened, you know, um, who knows? But he, he Djokovic's his uh, explanation was that I needed help, I needed guidance. I was and he and like, if you think back to when he was five one up against Tommy Paul and he just collapsed to five all. There have been some lapses where he's just completely lost the ability to play tennis, which is a really strange idea, given just how good at it he is. But that shows that, I mean, he's human, and he's been clearly under a heck of a lot of stress. Yeah, well, he he, he said after the match, didn't he, that given the circumstances, this is the biggest victory of my life. And Goran echoed that in the press conference didn't he that quote was put to him and he said yep yeah, I agree um we, when he's when Djokovic said that line in the speech on the court I wondered if he was hinting at something else that we beyond even what we knew about in terms of stress behind the scenes I know we you know about the hamstring we know about what's going on with his dad and we know about what happened here last year and all of that as if obviously that's enough to be extremely stressed but I, the way he said it did make me think, gosh, is there something else? Well, I think, I mean, Goran's words were that 97% of the other players would not have taken to the court. They would have gone straight to the referee's office the moment mm. they had the scan on that hamstring. And mm. he had a scan ahead of this tournament. Goran said all 97% of the other players would have pulled out with that. You know, that, that was his view. The other thing is, I thought we got a really good explanation from Djokovic a couple of nights ago about how he doesn't let anybody talk to him about what people are saying out there. He doesn't want to know. So he's pulling up the shutters. He's just blocking this stuff out. And then suddenly I think when you win, it can all come out. Yeah, well, his his words on Channel 9, he, he went straight to the studio to speak speak to them after the victory. And he said that it was a release you know, he yeah. said, um, you know, he's just had this sort of huge burden on him and that burden has been all the things that you listed. You know, his his father in, in the last few days, his hamstring, his return to Australia. Um, and he said that if it if it hadn't been a major, he wouldn't have played. He, he wasn't practising between matches at all. He was just doing a little practice before before he touched the court each, each night. Um... And yeah, I mean, 
look, it, it's kind of the second straight day, you know, after after Sabalenka yesterday and Novak Djokovic today, where I think there'll be a lot of talk about a journey from 12 months ago, you know, and mm. in a way, I, f- I find this one sort of less inspiring, I suppose, than Sabalenka's. Look, we don't, we don't need to go into detail about about what happened last year. There were there were mistakes on on both sides, but, you know, Djokovic was also the author of his own downfall to a certain degree. But there's absolutely no denying that he has somehow, and I don't know how, and it is, I think, what separates him from any, probably any athlete that I've ever seen, or, you know, certainly it's what separates him from from his peers on on the tennis tour at the moment is he's used all of that adversity in his mind, all of that idea that people are against him and turned it into fuel and motivation to play better. And and in his words, this was one of his best Australian opens in terms of actual, you know, his level of performance from sort of fourth round onwards. And that is that is unique i think i don't think anyone else can can do that you know whether you believe that he's sort of got a victim complex over it all or or not he whatever it is he he manages to use it to his advantage eventually and i find it completely extraordinary how he's it is. how he's able to do that it is and, and goran is running out of words to try and describe that feature of Djokovic's psyche. He's in awe of him, isn't, isn't he? it? He's it's totally in awe of him. He he just describes it as craziness. Yeah. It's just he said, "I know craziness. <laughs> I was my own type of crazy, yeah. but this is just well." He, Djokovic he can't believe it. what he's saying. I think Goran used to be his own worst enemy in mm. a lot of those situations. Goran, Djokovic faces the adversity, and and he's able to harness the energy that it generates. And not not necessarily just vent and explode, but vent and then channel and become better. It, it is a superpower. Mm. Yeah, it it, oh God, it it is. It absolutely is. It's, it's you know it's what makes him. I was on um, I was on the uh, Australian ABC show Offsiders this morning again. I was I was on it last week and. It, it, it's a really enjoyable thing to do while I'm down here in Australia. And one of the other guests today was Chris Clary of the New York Times, friend of this parish. And he was saying, he was explaining to, to the audience why Novak Djokovic is the most interesting of the the big three. And this this is this is why his... It might also be the same reasons why he's the least loved or the least universally liked but all of those things make him the most interesting psychologically of the three. Now, people will, you know, not everybody will find that to be the case, but I think there's a a very strong argument for that. Well, for he's sure. complex. Yeah. He's, and, uh, I mean, Chris wrote that in his own book about Roger Federer. I mean, mm. it was Making of the Master, but he did sections on all of the big three and various other people that are, that. Federer would have come into touch with and he, he was very clear you know Djokovic is so interesting to cover you could never get bored mm. of just trying to find out how did we get from there to there in 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 his world and he and Nadal 
who are both now tied on 22 major titles. They are two supreme competitors, the like of which I've I've barely ever seen ever in in any other sport. Um but in two completely different ways, aren't they? You feel like Nadal is this incredible competitor because competitor because he has this unparalleled ability to stay in the present. To just this point, this moment, this shot is everything. It's life or death to me in this split second. Djokovic, it's all about the macro, isn't it? He's this incredible competitor because you feel like his perspective is always panoramic. It's always on the bigger picture and what it what it means for his legacy and his greatness and and you know what it will mean in Serbia and and all of that and even it's all about the the big picture it absolutely like i i he will have lapses he will disappear mentally for a period of time because he's not like nadal he can't do mm. that but what he can do then is suddenly pull it back and be even even more incredible when a player least expects it because he's just managed to focus again. It's sort of the same headline trait, yeah. but manifesting in two completely different ways. It's, it's fascinating and, of course, you know, amplified in how fascinating it is by the fact that they're both now tied on 22, which is... This is our moment to talk about the race. Yes, which is your moment to shine, <laughs> well, Matt. I must say, Goran managed to make it sound a little bit dull by calling it a handball match. I mean, Twice. I'm sure, I'm sure there's lots of people that enjoy handball. Well, I mean, handball is huge I know. in Croatia. And I think, I think he's probably getting at the, the crazy score. Yeah. You know? I mean, that's not normal. It was a tough crowd for that It reference. was a bit. I thought... <laughs> I was many, into it. There's David many more gave, interesting David things gave you an approving face. Opinion. Like, I, I see what you're getting at, Goran. <laughs> he was also trying to tell a few funnies as he was saying he was. it. And I thought I've got to give him a bit of support here. <laughs> but, um, well, it's the first time Djokovic has has had a share of the lead. Or, Is you it? know, he, he's always... He's always been behind. And, well, I think, actually, no, maybe were they They've briefly all been on, tied 20. on 20. They've all been on 20 So it's together. the first time he's had a share of the lead, you know, with just one yeah. other person. Wow, um, and of course, I, I thought Goran put it well when he when he said, you know, this was this was Djokovic's home court. You know, this is yeah. sort of his hold of serve, if you like. And now it's Oof. now it's over to Roland Garros, which is Nadal's home court. And can can Djokovic break? And I think such a good analogy. So good. I like it. So I think, good. I think the edge Djokovic has got is he's kind of got two home courts at the moment because you know he's mm. extremely dominant at Wimbledon as well you know he's he's won there every every time since what 2018 yeah so I think it's advantage Djokovic and I also think Catherine we were talking about this in the in the taxi on the way in to Melbourne Park today like the Australian Open taxi ride. it was we had uh Anti-hero, come on, mm. which was... We're talking about the Grand Slam race, listening to Taylor Swift. Yeah, it was okay. a good time. It was all right. of our favourite things. Th- thanks for the clarification. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think the Australian Open sort of, in the, in the men's game, has really set the tone for the season because Federer, Nadal and Djokovic have had such a grip on that event 
that we haven't started the season with an unexpected winner. And it's like, oh, okay, now there's a chance for these youngsters. It's like every year we start clean and one of the big three wins the Australian Open. And it's like, oh, okay, so this is happening again. They're they're, they're sort (laughs) of gatekeeping those slams. And now we're on to Roland Garros and Wimbledon, which favour, you know, Nadal on clay, Djokovic on grass. Like, that's, as I've just said, that's their home sort of courts as well. Whereas, you know, if Djokovic had had lost tonight, he he wouldn't be tied. And suddenly, you know, Sitsipas has won a slam and, and it would have he's felt emboldened. Like, perhaps felt like a victory. You could imagine sort of Felix or Jalia's right. theme and, and, and the rest of them punching the air like, it's possible. I can We're, beat Stefan yeah. Sitsipas. <laughs> there's a sort of, the a sort of trickle-down effect Absolutely. And, and, and a tone setting. But as it is... The tone has been set again. Yeah. Djokovic is way better than everyone else who was here. Obviously, you know, Nadal is, is compromised at the moment. And, you know, the idea of Novak Djokovic not winning more slams this season right now feels kind of preposterous. You know, he's playing so well. And he can almost do his little power play of saying, I tell you what, you lot just toodle off to Indian Wells and Miami. <laughs> I'll just put my feet up and then see you when we get down to the to the grand slams again. Mm. I- imagine this is this is getting I I don't know why I'm I'm doing this sort of experiment but imagine he's on for the calendar slam and he's still not allowed to enter the US. Well, it's that's obviously a possibility, isn't it? Yeah. Um maybe even a probability. I, I'm not sure. I mean and in fact even in terms of results, I mean I think uh Goran said in his presser if if Rafael Nadal steps on court in at Roland Garros, he's the favourite. That was his, that was his view. Goran also said he, he thinks Novak Djokovic can maintain this level, not just be around, maintain this kind of a level for three two, years, two or three more two, years. Three years. Um, yeah. That was that was a question I put to him um, because I I am aware that I and mean, we were talking about it. Oh, my name dropping all over the shop here. But I mean, I was aware that when we were talking to Jim Courier yesterday, we put it, I put it in terms of my excitement is that Djokovic hasn't lost anything, even though he's about to turn 36. And yet you've got a couple of players that really are exciting who are 19. And that at some point, you would think that one or two of those 19 year olds is going to get really good um, consistently. And Djokovic is probably going to lose a bit. So when does that happen? And when do they meet in the middle? Mm. Um, when do they cross paths? I mean, Alcaraz and Djokovic have just basically missed one another for the last two slams. Um, mm. So so is there going to be a... Give me Alcaraz, Djokovic, oh, I now. I, I mean, look, you know, the, the last few months of evidence is that Alcaraz ain't living with that, what we saw tonight, the last few months of evidence. He, he needs to reestablish himself and well, actually, he hasn't played for the last few months no I know but he played at the end of last year and he didn't look that great do you mean everything subsequent to the US yes. Open oh yeah but I don't read really, that's not but, the but, real but I actually think the, I actually think if he can get himself fit he now gets chance to go to Indian Wells and Miami and rebuild um, some form fitness mm. maybe um, which and, and, and then actually, head on to Play. And and so and and whoever else does as well, you know. There's some other young players that that might be able to just 
Okay, there may not be a a Rafael Nadal and Novak Djokovic there, most likely, but they get a chance to get some wins and get some a feeling of aura. Mm. And 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 last season we did see Djokovic struggle to sort of play well at the start of the clay court season. Now I think a lot of that was because of the sort of mental and emotional toll. He was burdened, wasn't he? Australia and the deportation took on him. Mm. But I suspect maybe some of it was also not having that many matches. Inactivity, yeah. You know, so we, we might well be in a, in a similar situation again. I think he's planning to go to Dubai again, isn't he, like he did last year. Uh, but yeah, it, it, look, to me, Alcaraz is what, what can make the tour and the slams really, really compelling. You know, because he, he's already won a slam. Okay, Djokovic wasn't there, but that guy is he's special, Alcaraz, I think. And um, I don't think that Alcaraz not being here and Novak Djokovic didn't have to beat Nadal. Like, I don't think it takes anything away from Novak Djokovic's achievement here. Like, Djokovic has had it really hard. He's won a lot of slams against, you know, Federer and Nadal. He had to break them, them up and, you know... You beat who you beat in front of you. But I must say, Alcaraz not being here and that match with Runa not happening just, to me, took away some of the excitement on the men's yeah. side of it, this it, of this Australian it, Open. Yeah. It doesn't take anything away from the achievement, for sure. But, you know, Djokovic is 35, nearly 36. He does have a hamstring issue. He is playing with a lot of pressure. And I was just sort of waiting for the tour to step up a little bit mm. more. And Tsitsipas did what he did on, on the other side of the draw. He was brilliant. He got to the final. I thought he was a little bit of a letdown in, in that final. I'd agree. And I, mm. I just think Alcaraz and maybe Runa, but obviously Runa, you know, couldn't even get to that match with Djokovic. But just think they would have, it would have added something if, if sort of they'd met Djokovic, mm. you know, just, just, just the excitement level, I suppose. I- agreed. Um, I'm going to lower the tone briefly now because I'd like to talk about jackets. If if we could, I'd like to take a little moment to talk about um, emblazoned jackets and blazers. Mm-hmm. I didn't like it when Federer did it in 09. I didn't like it today. I don't like it. It's not Djokovic specific. David can vouch for how much I didn't like it when Federer did it. Yeah. I I really don't like it. Why not? All I can think about is that was in your bag the whole time. You had to have it made up. What do you do with it if you don't win? Well, (laughs) I'm now, I'm consumed with thoughts of did he have something made for the calendar slam? Oh, good question. Is there a jacket somewhere? What do you think Sitsipas has got in his bag at the moment? A really sad jacket. Did Sitsipas have a number one jacket? I, I bet he did. I bet he did. That would be naff, <laughs> wouldn't it? Yeah, having, but he is a, a bit naff. He is no, a bit because he'd be world number one. Oh, true. Yeah. Okay. Dual one purpose. for the world number one rather than one for the first and another, slam. Another for thing, when Roger Federer did his blazer, <laughs> right. which I did, it wasn't for me. Okay. That was when he overtook the record. 15, that, wasn't That was it? 15. Yeah. This was for equaling the record. 
I mean, look, I don't think you should ever be having a, a Federer blazer also or a had a, an eight, with, I seem to recall. For yes, but, his, but again, his that was overtaking. That was overtaking a record. And I think they've all got stuff on their shoes, haven't they? And you know, no, no. But hang on, I'm making I'm making like. a serious point about clothing here, David. Yeah, but they've all got their little how many trophies they've won no, no, emblazoned on their that's shoes. That's different. This Why? Is, this was very specifically for for the record. Right. Should he not have waited? I mean, I think we all think he's going to win 23. Has he gone too soon with the jacket? Because now if he has a 23 jacket, it's a bit like, oh, right, he's, <laughs> this is thing now. I, then he's got to keep going and have a have 24 jacket. I'm personally all right with it. I mean, I do think it's a bit naff. I do. But I also think, well, he has just won it. I mean, it is bloody hard. And I mean, it is extraordinary what he's done. And his team had uh, T-shirts I'm with le- 10. I'm on, less into they? that. I'm less into the team T-shirts, to be quite honest with you. That I'm not a great fan of. <laughs> Isn't it he the same can, principle, though? No, he's the one who's done it, you know. Yeah, and to, also, some people in that team weren't there for, like, the first six titles. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely... I'm, I'm not so into that. I'm all right with I him. I just think, do whatever you want. Well, I don't know. I don't... I don't, I don't <laughs> don't like it. <laughs> no, I don't love it either. Great. Do Can we just weigh in on whether you think there was a calendar slam jacket? I hadn't thought about that, but now I'm really... I'm really de- I would have thought I'm so. I'm desperate I mean, to know. So right. where is it, David? Did, did he oh. burn it? Well, he's saving it for this year. Well, what about Serena Williams? Did she have one? Serena's never done a number on an item of clothing. I remember these things, David. <laughs> <laughs> She's had the whole, you know, custard, you know, name on the shoes and stuff, but they all do that. Imagine this is, if there was like this a... This is very specific to the, the number. I'm just wondering if there's like somewhere in tennis towers, somewhere a lost property bin full of missed moments. Like tweets that live in drafts. Yes, yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. Mm. You know... Welcome to my world, David. This is all I can think about. It's, it's a good, good, yeah. good talk. There's about a podcast idea. in there yeah. on unused items of NAF clothing. <laughs> <laughs> Great, everyone's tuning in. Uh, what did we think? We we've alluded to those celebrations, Djokovic on the court. Those scenes of him. Well, there's a couple of things here. There was the initial walking over to his player box and pointing towards his head, his heart, and his testicles. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm. Which is also a sort of thing that I remember Alcaraz, he didn't, he didn't do it, he didn't point to his <laughs> testicles, but he did do a post... I thought Jackets was lowering we've the said, tone. We've said, we've said testicles now three times <laughs> on this podcast, but it, it sort of works a bit better in Spanish because it's three Cs. It's cabeza, corazón, and cojones. Okay. So it's a sort of it sort of rolls off the tongue a bit more, mm, and he, he did okay. those emojis, didn't he? Did he? Um, oh, that passed me by. The emoji. I'm glad oh, it passed yeah. me by. And I, so, I feel like in emoji form and in pointing form, I don't really need it. Yeah, I, I did think Carlos. You know, I think quite highly of you. I could <laughs> do without that emoji. Mm. <laughs> Thank you for not flagging that to my attention at the time. No, I knew you wouldn't like me it. By. I just, I don't. This is not specific to Djokovic. Ev- everybody uses that term. Mm. I ab and I know everyone's rolling their eyes at you know this is not the time to have this rant, but 
the gendered nature of that word, it's damaging. It's really damaging. Language matters. The fact that what you mean is courage. Yeah. But by calling it balls, you're making it something specifically male. Yeah. Exclusively yeah. and specifically male. And that is damaging. It's the very... I, I, I know Djokovic isn't thinking that when he's pointing to his testicles. Four times. I know no, <laughs> nobody's thinking that. No, he only pointed one. When they use that term, it's totally unconscious. But it, that's the very definition of unconscious bias. Yeah. This stuff matters. I've had to retrain myself. I used to say it. I, I don't say it anymore. I, I've me neither. Actually, I, I because you pointed it out to me a while back. Mm. So you know. yeah, and I think it's so. If if it's never occurred to you, I think that's you know. I use gutsy now. Absolutely, just use a non-gendered term. It's very easy, and just there's no need to point. I don't think. No. <laughs> There's really not. Um, and then, I and then I'm going to I'm going to attempt to raise the tone you again. Do now lose, you must just be almost unconscious in that moment, though. I reckon. Yeah. Well, well, the collapse in the players' box. Yeah, that was something, wasn't it? Was really something. Given how, frankly, unremarkable the match had been in lots of ways. It's a tennis match. It wasn't that great. Then you had this moment, which I've never seen anything like that. It was happening just below us. Um, and so we could see that something was happening. I could see him climbing sort of on the rails of the box and yep. doing that. Um, well, I, I, raising, raising his hand above his head. And I've just got a close-up because I've got the... Beating I've got and, the the TV pictures at the time. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he he was quite precarious what he was trying to do to get in there. And then they, they helped him in. And then it was just a mass scrum of celebration. Bear hugs with about eight people at the same time. And then a really heartfelt hug with his brother that lasted forever. And his mum as well. And you could see that he was starting to become really emotional at that point. And then it, it, was, it was almost like he passed out with the emotion and he just sort of his 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 energy just drained from him and he had to lie down sobbing and uh he couldn't he couldn't handle it he just couldn't handle the 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 amount he's been carrying around with him i, th- I suspect you know uh in order to function and and you can have whatever opinions you have about the hamstring and the way he handles it. No matter what, this was a lot of pressure he's carrying around and it just all came out in that moment. And um, yeah, and for about a minute or two, he was he was on, on his back and they were trying to just sort of almost bring him round or just help him to kind of compose himself again and then he got back down onto the court. And then he goes and sits on the chair and sobs into the towel for yeah. a, a good period of time. I mean, it was... An extraordinary release of emotion. Mm, yeah, no, I, I, I can I can relate to it. I think in in one or two just uh, uh, very different situations in my life when I've when I've tried to be strong about something and not not let anything get to me, and then you finally reach a, a point where you can take no more, or you or you reach the end, or whatever it might be, and it, and you just sort of let it go. Mm. It was, um, yeah, it was quite a moment. 
wasn't it? Seven or six of us. There was one of those those moments that we now all sort of slightly wince at, don't we, as a result of our tennis relived experience where it was said in totally confident terms by Todd Woodbridge, who was emceeing the ceremony, and by Novak Djokovic, both on the court and the press conference, you will be a Grand Slam champion. Goran Ivanovic said it as, as well, didn't he? Um, do we all feel that same level of confidence about that? I think he will win one. Just yeah. one? Like, Probably, think? yeah. Wow. Maybe more, but but I think he'll win one. I think he's such a good clay court player. I think he's got a really yeah. good chance there. I think he's got a good chance at this tournament because he's he's only twenty four. So mm-hmm. he in five years time, I I think as long as he doesn't get badly injured, he's still going to be a hell of an athlete. Mm-hmm. And Djokovic is probably going to be gone. Well, that, that's it. I I think he probably will win one, maybe a a handful, but I think he's going to have to wait for Djokovic to go or sneak in at the one or two slams a year that Djokovic doesn't win for the next few years. I'd still like to see him play Djokovic again on clay at Roland Garros, though. I think mm. that's a really good match. Yes, I agree. I think they're, they're two matches at Roland Garros have both gone to five sets, haven't they? And the surface helps Sitsipas there in a way that the surface helps helps Djokovic here in in that matchup. He he's such a good clay court player. Uh I I do see a French Open in his future, I think. Um I thought he'd show up more today though, I must yeah, say. Me too. Um and, and and it's it's again it's that it's that tricky balance of trying to judge how much of, of that was because it was Novak Djokovic down the other end. If he's playing someone else Maybe Sitsipas would have played better today. I think I think that's probably true. I think Novak Djokovic just does have an effect on players. It's part of what makes him so great. Um, but yes, I I feel pretty sure, sort of as not quite as sure as you can be, but pretty sure that Sitsipas will will win a slam one day. I can tell you what Stefano Sitsipas feels about this. He says, "Quote." I'm born a champion. I can feel it in my blood. I've felt it since I was a kid. Oh, I quite like that. It's an amazing line. I I left that press conference um, just thinking, imagine feeling that way. Good for you. Imagine how how different our childhood would have been (laughs) if we felt that we were, (laughs) that being a champion was in our blood. I mean, I can't. Imagine, but yeah, good for him. I, I would love to see it. I have to say, I'd love to see him win one one day because of what it would mean to him and those around him and his support and Greece trying trying to win their first ever Grand Slam title. I think it would be an amazing story one day. Mm. I, I do think he'll do it. I just, I don't know, if you'd cast back at two or three years and... The the pros the idea of talking about him winning you know one or one or two, I, you know he was being anointed wasn't he? People were talking about the number Federer of Grand Slam yeah. finals that he and Felix Auger Aliassime would face against one another as if that was a a done deal. Mm. Um, it's, well, absolutely. It's a slight I mean, shift, you, isn't it? You, you, 
I'm as guilty of it as anybody. I see somebody who's exciting and I am I get carried away before other players and other coaches have started to work out where the the, mm. the weak spots might be. Um and then then you have this moment of reality hitting home but also adjustments can take place within that because a year ago I wasn't as optimistic about Stefano Sitsipas as I am right now you know true so yes it, true. Can, it can shift same and again to quote Stefano Sitsipas it's a very long season yeah you know mm. in in these moments when we record these post-final shows it feels like everything doesn't it but it's a long season and tennis moves like that. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, that is something Sitsipas needs to get better at in performing in the second half of the season. Yes. You know, there's, there's four opportunities to win a slam every year, and it sort of feels like Sitsipas only has two mm. because he plays so well in Australia where he gets this amazing support, and, you know, he's, he's a kind of a breath of fresh air every time we come to the Australian Open. We're, we're really interested in what Sitsipas is doing. And then he's always a threat at Roland Garros because he's so good on clay. I don't think he's figured out grass yet. And he's never performed well at the US Open. I, I think he's got an even win-loss record at Wimbledon and the US Open together. Mm. You know, he's he's losing as many matches as, at those two slams as he is winning. Wow. And for someone of his caliber, I feel like he needs to to improve that. Just to, you know, give himself more shots. Because the US Open has been has been the open slam, hasn't it? You know, mm. that's been that's been where team and Medvedev and Alcaraz have, have managed to you know, to get slams. And I wouldn't say that they're all that much better or that much sort of more complete than Sitsipas. You know, Sitsipas is a great tennis player. Um but he, he tails off in the second half of the season quite a lot of the time. I know he won the ATP finals. Um in 2019 but that has been a pattern so mm. I'm interested to see whether he can um can sort of improve that this year I suppose a couple of other bits of business um picking up on the women's final yesterday we had the champions photo shoot with Arena Sabalenka today now I quite often don't love these because it's sort of they they can have a bit of a beauty pageant feel sometimes um but I love today's <laughs> Arena that? Sabalenka voguing on a gondola <laughs> uh, with a with, with a, a, s- with a sort of elderly <laughs> man um, pushing her along. The gon- gondolier, I think that's what they're called. He had his little dog on the gondola. It was such a vibe. The photos are amazing. And she just looked so joyful so often when people win their first slam i know the classic example we always use is andy murray winning that 2012 us open there was there were so many emotions that weren't joy Mm. you know yeah relief exhaustion yeah she she Um, seemed in the moment absolutely she seems Mm. to be really feeling her feelings in it and it's, it's brilliant Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.
market. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. The other thing I just wanted to pick up on from the women's final yesterday um, was a couple of things, starting with a tweet that you might have seen during the final from Pam Shriver, um, who tweeted, as I watch Rebecca try to win her second major in seven months, I hope she finds a coach who speaks and treats her with respect at all times and does not ever expect anything. It does not ever accept anything less. Now today, Elena Rabakina has posted on Instagram the following. She said, after a great AO, I've seen some disturbing comments on social media about the behavior of my coach, Stefano Vukov. Um, she said, I want to clarify any misinterpretations. Stefano has believed in me for many years before anyone else did. We plotted a strategy together in how I could achieve great things and his method shows in my Grand Slam success so far. He is a passionate coach with a lot of knowledge about tennis. Unlike people that are making these comments, he has great knowledge about me as a person and as an athlete. Those who will know me well will know that I would never accept a coach that didn't respect me and all our hard work. I may be quiet on the court and in general, but inside me is a competitive athlete that wants to achieve great things. And Stefano has helped me greatly in this way. So please disregard any fake news to the contrary. Now, Pam isn't the only person to question uh, some of Vukov's behaviour in in the player box with uh, with Elaine Rabakina, Laura Robson, um, who's been working for Tennis Australia and Eurosport this week, said on Eurosport um, that he seems to be very negative. She was she was pretty critical of it. She said, "I don't I don't know how she deals with this coach with with her coach." So Pam isn't alone. Um, but she's probably been the most direct and the most vocal as she was yesterday. Um, Stefano Vukov himself um, has told, he told Fox Sports Australia on Fridays, this was before Pam's tweet. He said, it's easy to just take clips and then make something controversial. This is part of our sport. It's normal. 
There's 10,000 people out there to get the attention of the player is definitely not easy and people don't understand that. I have to scream out something if she's off, off track. People can interpret that how they want, but at the end of the day, we're just doing our job. Coaching is now allowed and she, that's Elaine Rabakina, is using it in the best possible way. And uh, that's all from a, a piece by Molly McElwee in The Telegraph. Now, look, I com- I completely respect Elena Rabakina's right and desire to to have her say about that situation, about the relationship that's obviously bearing bearing a lot of fruit on the court and that she is obviously happy with off the court. I think what Pam is saying in her tweet is some boundaries shouldn't be crossed regardless of context, right? She's saying Rebecca and, and lots of others that are that are weighing in on this are saying that you don't know their relationship. You don't know the details. Nobody knows what's going on behind the scenes except the people involved and you've got no right to criticise. Pam's take on, and this isn't just specific to to this situation, this is her take and what she's trying to implement on the sport as a whole is there need to be boundaries that are uncrossable regardless of context. Mm. Yeah, and I think appearances in a coaching box in that situation is one of those. Mm. Um, I think what she wants to do is raise standards across the board in terms of how the coaching and player relationship work so that that is very clear and the level of sort of professional the the level of professionalism I don't mean in terms of tennis coaching and boundaries it's all about boundaries yeah and and there will be different types of, of relationship coach player relationship out there but what was absolutely clear to me is that that did not look great to see him shouting at her he may try and explain it away the way he has but it was not great to see. And there are plenty that are able to get their messages across without doing that. And I would, at the very least, just like to see him stop doing that. Mm. Personally, yeah. that's just my opinion. I'm watching it. You know, she, she, Elena may just say that there's nothing wrong with it. I, I don't want to see that, personally. Mm. Yeah. Right. I think that might be it. Folks, I think that might be it for the 2023 Australian Open. Matt's got something to say. Is it about pizza? <laughs> well, I was wondering where the pizza. Well, it's been waiting was. outside the door, but I, oh. there's, we've. I thought I was going to be dramatically called during the podcast to go and collect the pizza, but it's okay. No, can, the pizza's now cold. It's now cold. We can. But the podcast warn, has been red hot, <laughs> like Jason Kubler. <laughs> um, Nobody's that hot. I was going to say we've had other champions yes. today. Yes. Oh my goodness. The, this the, I'm looking at this written on a screen in front of me and yet I still missed it off. And thank you Matt. And uh yeah, Barbora Krejcikova and Katarina Siniakova just keep winning at these slams. They've now um they've now won well, four in a row that they've played because they won the Australian Open last year. They then couldn't play the French Open because Craig Chikova contracted COVID and, and had to pull out. They then won Wimbledon. They then won, won the US Open. And now they've won 
the Australian Open, beating Shibahara and Aoyama in, in two straight sets. And I think it's their seventh slam together overall. They, they're such a formidable team. Um, and I find them quite fascinating as a, as a duo because they're, they're very different on court. I mean, Siniakova was getting really quite... Um, sort of het up in that in that second set. Lots of looks over to the boxes, whereas Krikshikova just manages to, to sort of take it all in her stride and seems so calm. And I think they I think they play off each other really well yeah. as as a dynamic. Um and yeah, they're they're head and shoulders above above the rest of the teams at the moment and um sort of be interesting to see whether they can complete the non calendar slam at mm. Roland Garros. That would be a that would be a great storyline there the um well when serena did it it was the serena slam they don't have a team name do they no. we'll, we'll work on that folks <laughs> they don't even need one <laughs> well uh, well for catchiness purposes they might but we've got a few we've got a few months to work on that we prefer team names to uh jackets with we do with well, numbers do. emblazoned on them. Uh, I have some thank yous, some very heartfelt thank yous. First of all, to our newsletter predictors, each and every one of them for this Australian Open: Matthew, Lynn, Dawn, PJF, which is PJ, Joe, and Fiona. We like that, and of course, the now iconic Reggie. <laughs> I mean, what a legend! Terrible at Honestly, predictions, but what a star. What, he's the breakout star of this Australian Open. How can anybody be that bad? I will remember <laughs> the 2023 Australian Open for Andy Murray, for Rina Sabalenka, for Novak Djokovic, and for Reggie. And for Reggie. He's been... He's been that big a part of my Australian Open experience. Who actually won the the predictions? Matthew won the predictions. Well done, Matthew. Well done, Matthew. Sorry Matthew. that you've been outshone by somebody that got zero points. <laughs> Out of how many goes? I think Matthew understands. How, how many tries did Reggie have? <laughs> 14, 14 predictions. And he got zero right. wrong predictions. I mean, that takes some doing that. And he was trying to actually get them right, yeah? <laughs> oh, yeah. There he was, we, yeah. We... We love you, Reggie. If you, if you haven't seen his videos that Catherine has posted on our Instagram story, go and have a look. We were watching them on loop in the cab. I <laughs> we mean, lo- he's, we love he's such a ledge. The, um, we started off the tournament with the curse of Netflix, and now we've got the curse of Reggie. It's the year <laughs> of curses. Uh, I would like to say an extremely heartfelt thank you to Hannah and Andrew, Andrew. better known as Andrew, hey. uh, who've done absolutely sterling work for us on Twitter this tournament as they always do tireless um, always with a twinkle in the eye they are brilliant thank you very much Uh, an extremely heartfelt thank you to Gorana who has designed and sent 15 newsletters this tournament Gorana I know for a fact that you've been bought a hoodie from this Australian (laughs) Open and it matches the one that I am wearing right now and it's very very comfortable great uh, we'd like to thank, say thank you. To Was that supposed to be a surprise, David? She didn't listen. <laughs> we'd like to say thank you to Sarah or Willie, as she is very fondly known for, for miscellaneous uh, help that she gives us 
throughout the course of the year and every Grand Slam, including doing pole vaults, which I had a say in. I know. I was I was right out of the loop. I was just in, uh, and, and in, I was enjoying watching. Mm. Yeah, it was a very dystopian thing, me sort of (laughs) liaising about pole vaults anyway. And we would, of course, like to offer a very sincere thank you to On Location, the premium hospitality and experience provider for sponsoring us throughout this Australian Open and for sending us to Indian Wells, for giving us something to look forward to at the end of this trip as we head back to minus five degrees in the UK. Uh, for friends of the podcast it doesn't end there folks we have got coming up for you in the next few days not only an Australian Open review show with voice notes yeah uh, but also a Q&A show coming at you in uh, in a few days time at the start of next week and of course many of you won't yet have had a chance to listen to the special that we did with Jim Courier uh, yesterday was that yesterday goodness yeah. me um, it's probably two days ago now, isn't it? <laughs> but that's up there it'll be up there forevermore and uh, yes there's some talk about the uh, the Djokovic Shitsabas match uh, that's now slightly out of date but there's lots of other really brilliant chat from Jim Courier it's it's awesome stuff so do check that out and become a friend of the tennis podcast if you feel so inclined And we have our usual thank yous. We have our Australian Open mascot, Cordelia. Hello, Cordelia. You've been a star. We like Cordelia. Yeah. Cordelia is awesome. Cordelia, who isn't named after the character from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but gives me an opportunity to at least mention Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which we appreciate. David, you've got Maisie. Yeah, Maisie. I think that was a solid enough start. We didn't get zero out of 14, so, you know. Thanks. Thanks Reggie's for your support. Forevermore, our safety net, yep. isn't he? Uh, I've got Zenya. Hello, Zenya. Didn't go well today, but we did have we had a late tournament surge, mm. which we're very grateful for. So Leap thank frogged you, us, Maisie. And Matt Dar is Darwin happy with his choices? Don't think so. Uh, yes, I actually had an email from Darwin. Oh yeah. I didn't say, use to get, I, did, um, I did actually used to get emails back in the day. Loving your predictions prowess, Matt. Oh. oh that's annoying. I didn't get those type <laughs> of emails. I got commiserations <laughs> emails. But very, very heartfelt positive ones. Uh, Billy Jean <laughs> is sponsored by Billy Jean King and Alana Kloss. We have our top folks, Jamie, Drew and Hannah. They're our executive producers. Thank they're, you to them. They're awesome, aren't they? We have shout outs. We have Louise Strecker in San Diego, California. All right, Louise. Hello, Louise. Like Louise Ang- Anzamar Engzel. Oh! The umpire of tonight's match between Novak Djokovic and Stefano Sintzbass. Yes! She did a great job, actually, I think. That, there was that some was awesome, serious David. crowd control involved yeah. there. Um so, yeah, sterling work from Louise and from you. Thank you, Louise, David. for making us bring up the umpire because she yeah. deserved a, mm. a, a mention. Thank you, Louise. And thanks for supporting the pod. We've also got Brona Staunton in Dublin. Oh, oh we know Brona, we don't know we? Brona. Brona, all right, Brona. Lovely Brona. Hello. Thank you for your consistent support of the pod. It's we, much appreciated. We're going to struggle for a tennis reference out of Brona, though, right? 
Yeah, Ireland's not really a, a big... Uh, Conan Island. Yep. We always mention Colin in these situations. <laughs> <laughs> always. <laughs> okay, well, thank you, Broner. Yeah, thank you, Broner. And Connor for existing and giving us someone to mention. <laughs> and tennis Broners, get your act together so we've got somebody to mention. <laughs> and last but by no means least, it is Simon Pierce. Who oh. we also know. He, Hello, Simon. He's in New York via London. All right, Simon. Hello, Simon. Simon, who sends the most incredible emails. Like Simon Briggs. Like he, Simon Briggs. As in the name, Simon Briggs doesn't send us incredible emails. <laughs> I mean, no, he doesn't. No. Tennis, like tennis player Simons? It's not a very tennis player name, Simon is it? Simon Aspelin, a former Swedish doubles player. <laughs> um, Gilles Simon. Okay. No, I Same thought, spelling. I thought that Same was good. Spelling. Yeah. Yeah. You can have it at ten past three. <laughs> Thank <it> 10 <laughs> you, Simon. Thank you to all of our friends of the Tennis Podcast. If you would like to become a friend and get yourself a shout-out, an intro, or just support the show and enable us to come to these events and cover the tennis in the way that we've been able to for the last fortnight, then become a friend of the Tennis Podcast. That is the way to do it. We feel the value of being here. We feel it every single day. I hope that you, the listener, feel that as well. We are not able to cover these events the same way remotely. We'd do it, but it would not be the same. Our our show is massively enhanced by being able to be here. So thank you for making that possible, Friends of the Tennis Podcast. And we'll be in Indian Wells in just a few short weeks' time bringing you coverage from there thanks to one location so from the ao 2023 at 3 11 a.m it is over and out from the tennis podcast good night even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 